I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, my friends, and welcome aboard. You know, this time of year is unique and special. Now, it came to me as I was waking up. It came to me as I was waking up, and I guess the whole idea of faith is something that I wanted to consider a little bit today, before we get into the politics and all the rough and tumble of American life. So we look back 2,023 years. Let's use that date as a historical pinpoint for us. If we look back 2,023 years, we see that the Roman Empire is ruling the Holy Land. We see that there is order in the Roman Empire as they continue to conquer and move out. And at that time, there is either the greatest miracle that the world has ever known takes place or the greatest myth the world has ever known begins to take shape. So prior to that time, we had the original Bible, right? The original, uh, the Old Testament, as it came to be called. The Bible, the story of God, creation, mankind, and God's uh, control over the earth and how people reacted to their God. And in that Bible, there are many, many signs pointing to the future, pointing to uh, the arrival of a Messiah who will come one day. And of course, for those of us who've spent any time in a church anywhere, we know that the Messiah that they were pointing to and talking about uh, and all the prophets prophesied about was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the stories of Jesus would be uh, written down, and they would be included in the, the New Bible that would include the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament, the story of the origins, and then the New Testament, the story of Jesus Christ as he's here on earth. So one of the things that, that we look at early in the New Testament are the stories about the birth of Jesus and how, how he came about. And we see that there were these great signs in the sky, great signs in the sky, this great star that led uh, everyone to the birthplace in Bethlehem. So when we look at that, we say either this is the greatest story ever told, as they call the Bible, or it is the greatest miracle that has ever happened to mankind. So... Is it possible that there were signs? You know, because one of the things, you know, we do know stars and other celestial bodies do move around. Uh, they move around at a, mostly at a particular pace. Even comets and, uh, and asteroids and whatnot, they orbit at a certain speed, a certain pace. Uh, and we can, we can backtrack them. We can look backwards in time to see where a particular comet uh, would have been last year or 100 years or 5,000 years ago. You know, we've gotten to that point where we can identify these objects 
and based on their movement and their tracking, that's how they can tell, you know, uh, when something might cross Earth's path or it might even collide with us. Right? That's one of the things they're doing is trying to plot these things out. So we look back, you know, and the, the date of Jesus' birth is lost in the original, uh, the exact date, the, is lost in the original um, documentation of time. You know, uh, the whole world was waiting for the Savior to come back then, as per the stories of the Old Testament. And only a few people knew that it was taking place when it was. You know, it was the, the sign in the sky was this, uh, the great star, the star of Bethlehem. And, and if people, oh, it foretold the birth of the Savior. And we know that the three wise men, you know, the three kings from, three kings from the Orient uh, area, uh, followed that star. We know that the shepherds in the field saw that star. Uh, the stories tell us this. This is, uh, this is a written account. And we, while we have multiple written accounts of this, uh, the, the exact date is unsure. So people figure it's either, uh, I heard one the other day say it's either like 5 BC to AD 6 or 7 could have been the actual birth of Jesus because by the time, you know, we, we changed the calendar from BC to AD, uh, it was only when it, it got caught up with the church realized, you know, uh, and maybe they're looking back. I'm, I'm not positive about it. I'm, I'm not a scholar on how they started the, the calendar to change from, you know, um, B.C. to A.D. But that is what those letters originally stood for, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, right? So Jesus is born, we start year one, we start moving forward. This controversy, of course, now in our modern world, uh, where we try and take God out of everything and we take religion out of everything and we try to pretend that uh, there's just what's in front of us, uh, that everything is naturally occurring. We can't figure out how we got here, why we got here, where the rocks are from, the chemicals. We can't figure out any of that stuff, but we know that it's it's not God. It's, a, it's just, a, it's just a, a natural occurrence uh, in this gigantic universe that we can't explain. Don't know what it's doing here, how long it's been, how far it goes, and how long it will last. We have no idea. But we're positive. We're positive about these other things. And that is where faith comes in. So we, we have some choices about our faith and how we can look at the world. We can say that all of this is just a happenstance. All of this material, all of the gas, the hydrogen, the rocks, the all of the things that make up the planets, the heavy elements, um, the metals, all these things that we can see when we look up into the night sky and we see billions and billions of stars, all of that just happened by accident. Uh, humans, human life, all the life on earth, the dinosaurs, you know, talking, talking 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs ruled the earth and they ruled the earth for 100 million years or so. You know, all of that life happened by accident. Uh, that's one theory. And you know what? It might be true. It might be true. I don't know that it is or it isn't. It seems to me that something so spectacular, so spectacularly large as our universe apparently is, uh, for it to start just randomly doesn't make any sense. So that tells me one of two things. One, faith has to guide my beliefs. Or if I look at it, 
with faith out of the picture, we say all of this material, the, the physical material of the universe, the, the, the earth we stand on, all of this stuff happened out of nothing at some point in the abyss of time. It simply all came together uh, and, 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 and sparked uh, eventually into the life of humanity, right? So we, we came from nothing. Um, we happen to nothing. We have, we have intellect. We can think. We can listen to this program. We can love other people. Uh, we can, of course, deal with all the negative emotions that come with being a human. But all of this happens just accidentally. To me, that seems harder to believe than to believe that it was started in a different way. And that this is the faith part. So I get my friends and those of you who are out there who maybe you don't believe in a god uh, or a, a supreme being that started all this. I get it. You know, there's you can make a you can make an argument that this is really a a myth, a myth story created by mankind to explain the things that they were afraid of. You know, uh, I remember when I was a kid uh, and there was thunder and lightning. My mother used to tell me, well, that's the angels bowling, you know, or moving their furniture around, you know. And the things that we didn't understand, we had to come up with a, an answer for, you know, what is the movement of the stars? Well, it's got to be the gods. The gods are moving the stars around. And, you know, the earth was at the center of the universe at one point uh, in belief. And, you know, the earth was flat. And matter of fact, there's still some knuckleheads out there who believe the earth is flat. But all of these things are legitimate to believe. Either you believe faith, faith tells us that there is a supreme being that created all this, or you can say, yeah, well, there's no proof for that um, in hard science um, so that all of this maybe is just spontaneously created. But my question always, always, always comes back, and this is what guides me on this process of determining whether or not it's faith that guides me, or whether I'm going to say, I'll jump in the boat with all those people who say, no, it's just random, is that where did all this material come from? Right? Where did all the gas, the hydrogens, uh, the rocks, the, the things that make up the stars and the planets and the universe, where did it all come from? Where did that stuff, how did that stuff come into existence, right? Things don't just come into existence. Look at a, uh, take a, a diamond, for example. A diamond is compressed coal for millions of years under heat and pressure, and you make this amazing gemstone, a diamond. Well, that didn't come from nothing. It came from coal and the pressures and the heats exerted on it, right? It's what made it into a diamond. So the physical stuff of the universe leaves me one of two choices. Either there is an, an epoch way beyond the Big Bang Theory, you know, supposedly all of this material, all this energy, everything, was uh, compressed into a, a singular point. All of this material, everything we can see, the entire universe of material was compressed into a singular point at one time, uh, and then it exploded in the Big Bang and started moving outward from that point and that created the stars and the planets and space opened up and, and all that kind of thing. You could see that. You, you could see that that's potential. But the epoch has to be before then is that where did the space come from? What is 
space, how far does it go? If you listen to the scientists that are out there, uh, astrophysicists, you listen to them, they said, well, as far as we can see is back uh, 13 and a half billion years. The reason we can see far that far back is because there are stars there. There are the beginning of galaxies, and we can see that light. That light has taken 13 billion years to get to us because it's so far away. But the reality is what's beyond that because the, the universe is apparently still expanding. What is it expanding out into? And how is it possible that there is this complete empty nothingness of the universe in the first place? What is that? And where did that come from? You see, so these, these kind of thoughts, these kind of thoughts can really humble you. Uh, because you realize how small we are here on Earth if we're just this one little, one little speck, and this this amazingly gigantic universe is out there. You say, okay, so where did it come from? What is it in it in its essence? What is the universe? Uh, because it is real, right? We know uh, you go out there. You, we've landed uh, uh, craft on other planets. We know they're there. We know where we live. You know we. Uh, we live on an actual planet. So these things are real. It's just what what is out beyond that 13 and a half billion years? Uh, what lay in front of it? Now, there is obviously science that tells us we can we can see the things of the universe, the stars, uh, have a lifespan. And we know that they use up their fuel and then they explode in a hypernova boom, supernova, uh, and all the elements that were in that star are then released into the universe, connect with the gases, create more stars. So it's, it's a continual birthing process. But we know that at some point, all of that energy will be used up. And as scientists will point out, over the, over the billions of years to come, when all that energy is used up, all this material will go dark and the universe itself will go dark you say okay so it came from nothing it expanded beyond what we can imagine and at some point it'll burn its energy out and it will go dark and then what it'll just be nothingness for all of time that is almost too much to comprehend and when i think about that you know think of occam's razor when you have a difficult problem often the simplest answer will give you the truth. And the simplest answer, of course, is faith, is that there is a supreme being, there is a God, there is someone who created all of this for a purpose. Now, our religion, and I guess many religions tell us that we don't know the mind of God. We can't suppose to know the mind of God if you're going to take the faith route, that God has his plan and we are to have faith that he's there. And we will be loved by him, and we love him, and we should love each other, this magnificence of creation. And in time, it will all be revealed to you when you join God in heaven. You know, that's, that's the basic story line of faith. And when I look at that, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I, I have no choice but to take the faith route, because I can't take this happened on its own, because things just do not happen on their own. Things do not develop out of nothing. They have to come from somewhere. Or, like I said, there is an epoch be before the Big Bang that 
goes back even further. Maybe it goes back a hundred billion years. But you know what? What was here before that? And where did the universe come from? What is this endlessness? Well, I suppose some philosophers had say, had, had pointed this out, and I, and I kind of like it, um, that the endless universe is the mind of God. This is God's mind, and the universe is taking place there, uh, and we are within that. I mean, I, I, that's, I don't want to say that that's comforting, but again... Does that kind of make sense to me? Yeah, it does. I, and I don't have any any specific formula I can point to or mathematical calculation that can tell me that that's true. I simply say the size, the sheer size and breadth and depth of the galaxy and the universe in front of us is so hard to comprehend that it can skew your thoughts. And I think faith helps, helps to uh, form that, helps to form some, some understanding of all of that. So that's what I wanted to talk about here, this, this either greatest myth or the greatest miracle that has ever happened. So if we take the, the myth first, you know, the universe happened by happenstance. There is no supreme being. It's simply... Uh, a matter of material that formed itself in a space that we can't comprehend how large it is. Uh, and at some point, these materials coalesced into a planet and into the stars. Uh, and, you know, little one-celled things developed on their own based on chemical mixes in the primordial oceans. And eventually one of them uh, became a multi-celled creature and dwelled on, in the oceans for a while. And then it crawled up on the land, and, and that's where all this stuff comes from. So if we take that, we say, okay, um, then this is really just, um, it, it's just a, a myth that there was a God, and all of this is just a natural occurrence. And as time goes by, you know, it'll, it'll disappear. Every one of us that has um, the ability to think, the ability to love, the ability to feel connection to other people, you know, after our time runs out, our limited, you know, if you're very, very, very lucky and you get 100 years here on the planet, uh, you say, okay, and then your, your body ceases to function and you die. And off you go, whether it's a catastrophic death hit by a car or whether, you're, you know, your heart just stops one day and off you go. And then your conscience or your soul uh, would then go on. Well, if, if there we're taking there is no God, then there probably is no soul, right? This, uh, this ability to think has just developed. It's just a natural development over the course of time. And once you die, you simply rot away as though you never existed, and you're part, you know, you're, you're, you're done, you're gone, you're out of here. I find that to be sad and lonely to think about that, uh, that, that that is what we could be. And that's the other thing I think that turns me towards faith because I don't like that alternative. Um, in the course of my life, I have felt very, very powerful emotions, as many of you I'm sure have as well. You know, uh, we usually start out with absolute love of our mother and father. Uh, they are the center of the universe to us. They are our be-all and end-all. 
you know, uh, especially a mother's love. A mother brings you in, into the earth and, and to the life, and you, uh, you're nursed by your mother. You're given the very essence of life from your mother, and you are connected to her. And as time moves on, you know, you, you find that you, you have friends, you have fun, you, you like each other, you enjoy each other. And then there's love outside of the family. You find that special person, a connection with another human being that is so special and wonderful that that feeling of love brings you together to create new families. And that family goes on and creates more. Then the idea that there is, you know, nothing after this gets even lonelier because you think once you're gone, you're gone. Like as though you never existed. And I find that very hard to believe in that the thoughts and feelings that I've had my entire life, the understanding of self, of me, who I am and how I feel about other people and my, the connection I've had to my wife and to my children and to my parents and to my friends, that upon death, that all just ends. And this consciousness that I have, this ability to think, to ponder the universe, to even consider these kind of things, just dissipates and disappears for all time as though I was never here. Now, in the theory of there is no God, that's pretty much what happens. You know, you just, you end, you're gone, you're done, right? Uh, all of those things are released from you when you die. Your brain shuts down, the electrical power stops, and off you go, like a, a, a machine with no battery. You're just done, and that's it. There is nothing more. And I do find that disconcerting and uncomfortable. So maybe part of my desire for faith is really akin to our ancient ancestors who also maybe contemplated some of these things by looking up at those stars and saying there has to be more than this random life that, that we're just here. We just happen to have the ability to think. I mean, does, does a lizard crawl on the earth and think uh, and have feelings? Uh, well, we don't think that they do, right? But how about dogs? Dogs and cats. Don't we think that dogs and cats have emotions and they can show love and they can show anger and they can show fear? And, you know, do you ever have a, a kitty cat crawl up onto you and cuddle up with you or a puppy uh, or your dog? And they show that love and that affection and that fun and that playing. That's an interaction between beings that seems to go beyond um, nothingness. So maybe, maybe my desire to have that there is more to the universe, to consciousness, to love, that love goes on and continues, is akin to my early relatives, my early ancestors, who looked up into those stars and said, there has to be something more. And that is where either the myth was created to comfort us, right? Because that's what we do. You know, the, the angels are bowling. That's what that sound is because we didn't know what the hell um, all this thunder was. You know, it was scary. We saw a comet. We'd say it's an omen. It's a message. Not realizing it's a, uh, it's a rock circling the sun. We had to come up with these things as humans to assuage our fear. And that is the whole myth uh Story. Now, I'm sure we, we could spend hours on the myth theory and where things came from. But I'm just saying that my desire for there to be more kind of taps into that feeling of our ancient ancestors, right? When they, they had to believe there was more, they were afraid. So am I afraid that there's nothing? Is that what is leading me 
uh, towards the faith picture? Or is, is that what's blinding me to the truth that there is nothing? Is that what it is? is could that possibly be? Well, of course it possibly could be. But when I, when I face it directly and I accept the fact that it could be nothing, and that's, that's our ultimate, we have these 80, 90, or 100 years if you're very, very lucky. And when that time is over, you're over as though you never existed. Once I accept that fact in that theory, then I'm not afraid anymore. Because it is, it is what it is, as they say. Um, and there is nothing else to concern myself with because once it's over, it's over. There's no connection to anyone. There's no longing. There's no, there's no pain. There's nothing. You're just gone. Then I have to turn my attention to the faith story. And the faith story is that there is a supreme being who created all of this. And this universe is the mind of God. And at some point, as the earth was developing and God's creation was growing and people developed here on the planet, at some point, God sent prophets and he sent signs to the people. And he made this connection and he said, I'm going to send you a Messiah. And we think about the birth of Jesus, the whole idea that Jesus is divine and human is, again, either the most amazing story or the greatest miracle that the world has ever seen. Now, in the faith theory that God created all the universe, created all the material, created all these things, cre created, blew the spark of life into the universe with the development of plants and animals and ultimately people, if God is capable of that, then God is capable of anything. And the idea that God would show his love, that would want to connect us to him, and this great universe that he has created, this, this entire, entire thing before us, leading to love, which I think love is at the basis of what, what a, a faith is all about, that God would send his son in human form to walk the earth with his people, to feel what it's like to walk amongst his people, to feel love, a love for his mother, a love for his friends, a love for his father, a love to do God's will, and then to die for the forgiveness of everyone, to show that there is a way forward, there is more than simply the end, then the end of your consciousness, you're gone. Watching the story of Jesus Christ and the myth story being thrown out, and now we go with the faith story, God sent his son here to show us that human beings, Jesus was human, divine, and, and God, if he could walk the earth, and when he dies, he is reborn as a spiritual creature, and he goes to heaven with God, with his family, with his friends, and with all of the people of the, of the earth that have ever been here. And who knows, all the other aliens that might be out there too, because God created them too if he created us. That is much more comforting. That is much more uh, easy to, for me to understand and to believe, because I don't believe that all of this comes from nothing. I believe all of this comes from love, and I believe love's architect 
is a supreme being, is God. And at this time of year, it's nice to think about that. We'll be back in a minute. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Okay, welcome back, everybody. And uh, thank you for going on that journey with me. I appreciate that. You know, these are, these are major things to consider in life. And I guess maybe uh, having spent a lot of time here on this planet, you start to think about things that maybe you didn't think about before. Now, I've always been spiritual. I've always, I've always been uh, a believer in God. Um, it, it, I, and I'm trying to, you know, focus this in the realities as I go forward. You know, as I get to my 60s now, I hit 60. My wife hit 60. A lot of my friends hit 60. And you say to yourself, how did that happen? A minute ago, I remember a minute ago, being 15 years, 15 years old and going, man, I can't wait till I get my driver's license. Well, that was, seems like eons ago in, in the span of a lifetime. Of course, it's simply the blink of an eye. Uh, if, like I keep saying, if you're very lucky, you know, what is the lifespan of the average male is 76. The average female is 79. So if you, you go in the middle of that, 
Um, you got 78 years, maybe. 77 and a half is the average lifespan of a human being. And any day past that is really a gift, right? Because most people, uh, most people either make that mark uh, or they fall short. You know, a lot of people fall short. They, they don't get through their 40s, 50s, or 60s. And we know that that happens a lot. So you start to appreciate the speed at which life goes by. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to get to is the speed at which life goes by. You start to hit your 60s and you see your friends around you starting to suffer from physical ailments, ailments that could take them down, could take them out. And you start to realize that, wow, um, I have less road in front of me than I have behind me. And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me as an individual, as, as, a, as a person? You know, um, it, it puts these things more in, in clarity. And I want to say that I guess some people run to church uh, at, as they get older because they have a fear that, uh-oh, what, what if, what if uh, you know, this is real and I didn't do the right thing? And, you know, I would, I would suppose that that's okay. I listen to the preachers in church and they say it's okay when you come to church, uh, when you find God, it's, you know, on your deathbed. You can find God and ask for forgiveness and, and tell him you love him and, and off you go to heaven. That's, and, and that's a big panoply between, you know, all the different religions. There's various stages of that spectrum of what you have to do uh, if you're going to take the, um, the faith theory and how you're going to get yourself to heaven with, with God. But I think when we look at the world around us it is, and you, you put yourself in it, you start to wonder, you know, you know who am I? Did, what did I do? Did I use my time correctly? And this is where, I guess, parents, I know myself, I'm a parent. I have four wonderful young adults now out in the world. And I hope that, that they see these things sooner than, you know, I did. Like I said, I've always been spiritual. Um, I've always felt that there's something more out there. But I, I didn't always concentrate on uh, specific religious doctrine. Let's put it that way. I was born and raised a Catholic. Uh, my family went to church for Christmas and Easter. Uh, I know my dad, who I've told you, you know, many times before, he passed away at 37, but he, he was having uh, heart issues. And I, he was going to a doctor. And at the time, 1976, they didn't understand what they understand about heart disease now. Uh, he was told he had started his own business, so he was being, he was stressed. You know, oh, you're stressed. That's what the pains in your chest are. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And he he started becoming more, I guess, maybe seeing his mortality. And I remember he was reading the Bible. You know, and he wasn't sitting in the living room, you know, quoting scripture and this and that. But he had a Bible in his bedroom next to his bed, and I walked a couple of times into the room looking for him, and he was sitting there reading the Bible. And I remember my mother telling me that he was trying to understand who God was and his place in the universe and this and that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, that tragedy struck and, and he died. But he had that impetus, maybe that feeling that something was impending, that he wasn't feeling right. And he started to search out his creator. He started to search out God. And I guess, you know, uh, for someone who had a, a health issue early on, you could see where that would happen. Because here I am now. Uh, I remember when we had uh, my first son, Joseph, and, my, and Kathleen says, uh, listen, we really should be, we should be in church on Sunday. Don't you think we should be in church on Sunday and we can raise these kids to have a faith and do the right thing? She was born and raised a Catholic as well. 
but you know, her family's a little more religious than mine. But you know, as as we got together, you know, we like most young people, we moved on with our life. We didn't, you know, center. God wasn't centered in our life. Let's put it that way. He was there, but uh, you know, Christmas and Easter, he was there, and the rest of the time, we were busy on our lives. And as we as we walked through this, she said that to me. She goes, you know, and I heard something that if the father takes religion seriously and attends church, the children will take religion seriously and attend church. Now, that's a very big responsibility to put on somebody's head, especially a young man who's trying to figure out what he wants to do in the world. But I have to say that I guess my, my, my basic spirituality at the time, um, I understood all the stories, uh, the Catholic stories, the Christian stories of Jesus and, and all of that. And I said, well, um, what's it going to hurt if I go to church? Uh, it's not going to hurt anything. Uh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to listen to what the priest has to say and listen to the homilies. And if it helps me to be a better person and do better things than as opposed to doing bad things, then it, it, does, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt in any way, shape, or form uh, to go to church. It's an hour a week. And if that example provides my children with some guidance and some comfort uh, in, in their lives, uh, then, okay, then I'll do it. I, then it is the right thing to do, and that responsibility is, is a heavy one, but it's, it's not an impossible lift. And we started going every Sunday, taking baby Joey to church. And sometimes he cried, and we had to walk him around. Sometimes as he got a little older and he wanted to run around, we had to go in the crying room. You know, but the whole idea was to be there, to be present um, in church. That's what we were there for. And then as we had Alexander, we did the same with him. We had Marisa Joy, we did the same with her. And as we had John Tagg, you know, Jackie, and we had Jack, we did the same thing with him. And, you know, we would uh, go to church and make a, a big deal out of it, uh, try to go to most of the days of obligation, you know, and, uh, and learn about things and, and set an example. Well, it's funny, as, as we go down the road, let's fast forward a little bit. All the kids do the same thing that Kathleen and I did as they moved up and out and they were on their own lives and doing stuff. Uh, while they had a history of church and a much better understanding of religion and Christianity and Catholicism than Kathleen and I had because they were raised in it. They, the two older boys went to Catholic school for K through eight. Uh, and then high school, too. Yeah, they did go to a Catholic high school, too. Um, they they kind of moved away from it. You know, it became secondary in their lives to everything else that was going on. You know, Sundays were uh, Sundays the day you slept in a little bit because you were out late on a Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? Living life, doing things. And that was it, it was a little distressful. You know, uh, Kathleen was was very upset. That, you know, how come the kids aren't going to church? You want to make sure if they're going to get married, you're going to get married in the church. And all correct thoughts. But I always had this feeling in, in the back of my mind. I always had this feeling in the back of my mind that, you know what? What you said all those years ago was that if the father takes it serious, the kids will take it serious. And I had this, this faith that at some point um, they would come to their own decision that going back to church and being a part of church and religion and, and worshiping God is an important thing for them as a people, you know, as, as human beings. Because after all, when things are going good, you don't need God so much, do you? It's when things go bad in your life, when maybe there's an illness or something bad happens to somebody or someone dies tragically in a car accident or whatever. 
you know, it's those times that you really need God to be with you, uh, you know, for comfort and for, for being able to move on. So I always had that feeling in the back of my mind that at some point they would all move back, hopefully sooner rather than later, but I thought so. And then, you know, my, uh, my son Joe is 38, and about two years ago, he says, hey, you know, uh, I decided to uh, start going back to church. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I'm going to start going back to church, and my wife and the kids are going to come with me. And I said, I think that's great. And now they go to church every Sunday. Um, Alexander, same thing. All of a sudden, he says, uh, yeah, you know, we've been going to church on Sundays and bringing the baby, and uh, it's a good thing. And I said to Kathleen, see, I, I knew that that seed we planted uh, would grow in their hearts because they saw us live it. See, that was the difference. They saw us live it um, by going and trying to do the right thing. Now, we're not, we're not perfect. We're sinners. You know, we make mistakes. We do whatever. But we tried really hard to set a good example, and it's starting to come back. Well, my son Jack, the youngest, has, has always, always taken that seriously. I mean, here's a kid who's an Eagle Scout, um, doing really well in school, uh, going off to church on his own with his girlfriend on on um, on Sundays. He goes off to college and he goes to church every Sunday. When he comes home, he goes to church. He makes sure he gets there, days of obligation, everything. He's very involved and he has a great faith. Uh, it's my daughter, Marisa, that we're working on. Um, she's still on her journey, but in conversations I'm having with her, I can hear the spirituality growing in her and I have no doubt that she will uh, in the course of time, she will find her way back into the church. That's um, all because faith. Faith is something that grows. And I guess that's really the theme of our little get-together today at this time of year, to think about your faith. What is your faith? Uh, does it have a place in your life? Have you considered these things? You know, I don't like the idea of going off to nothing. I like the idea of continuing, you know, um, seeing my family and friends. I, I miss my father. I miss my mother terribly. Uh, they were wonderful parents, and I'm very sad I didn't have them all my life, that all my kids didn't have them the whole life, but that's, that's how life goes. You know, people, they, they move along. Um, so the whole idea of seeing my parents, my grandparents, my friends, friends I've lost over the years, uh, of seeing them uh, in heaven is a really comforting and wonderful thing. And it, it helps me move forward into the vastness of the future, whatever that future will be. Whether I have another minute here on this planet or I get another 50 years, I have no idea. Well, 50 years would be, would be a lot, right? That'd put me at 110 something. Even I am not, uh, you know, thinking I'm going to get 110 out of it. But, you know, it'd be nice if I got 80, you know, it'd be nice if I got 80. That would give me at least some more time. But I might have today. Today might be the day. You never know um, how things go. So I wanted to just go over that a little bit here. At this time of year, I think it's important that we consider these things and you look and try and figure out, you know, what's important to you? You know, isn't it the ultimate justice that we chase when we try to find the truth? What is the truth? What is the personal truth? What is the life truth? What is the faith truth? And what, where are we in all of that? I think that's the idea. That's the theme of this particular little get together. Now, like I said, we, we have other things to look at. Um, I appreciate everybody coming on this afternoon journey with me to, to, to think about our faith and what we're doing. But we do have to look at some other things. There are some things going on in the world that are kind of wacky. Um, now, because 
because it's a, it's a time of year when people spend a lot of money, there's a lot of scams going on out there. So you got to be careful of these scams. So the reason I mention these is because it's easy to fall prey to these scams. And one of the biggest ones going on right now is a thing called card draining, gift card draining. You know, the gift cards. You buy a gift card, you know, whether it's a Visa card or MasterCard or a Starbucks card, whatever. You pay good money for that card and you give it to someone as a gift. And then whatever, you, you put 50 bucks on the card. And then they have $50 they can use to buy a coffee, buy gas, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's $50. Well, the scam of card draining, uh, people have the ability to um, see those cards hanging up in the store there. They have a way of finding the information on the card through the silver stripe in the back. And they get that information and they document it. And then they put the silver stripe back on and then you buy the card and you load up your 50 bucks or your $200 or whatever, but they already have the information and they monitor that account. And when they see, oh, there's $200 on that account now, boom, they draw it off. You go to use the card and the card is empty. And you say, how can that be? I had put the money on in the store because somebody already had the card information. They drained it and used it as soon as you put the money on it. So be careful out there. They say, look at your cards when you go to buy them. If the envelope or the, uh, the packaging has been damaged in any way, look closely at the silver strip if you can see it. Does it look like it's genuine? Does it look like it's been replaced? If it is, be careful. Another thing that we can all fall prey to, and I've fallen prey to it myself, are uh, card readers. These things these, that can read the information on your credit card. Now, they are placed sometimes in a device that looks exactly, and I mean exactly, like the spot. Like you go to an ATM machine and you put your credit card in or your, your ATM card you put it in. Well, this is a device that looks exactly like it and it puts it right over the top of that. And when you slide your card in, it does go into the machine after it goes through the reader that they put there and it records all your card information and your, uh, your PIN numbers and all that. And then they can go back later on and drain your account. So we went to, uh, we were going, went to New York with family and I stopped in this parking lot to park my car uh, so that we could get on a train and go into the city. And the way you got your parking, there was no attendant, there was a a machine and you went in you put in your card and you put in your license plate number and you bought the amount of time and it would if somebody came in they could see oh this car is here for eight hours or ten hours, whatever it was so that you could park there and I put my card in I paid my 40 bucks for 10 hours or whatever uh, we came home we drove home to the end of it and all of a sudden I see charges on my ATM card for things in California that I didn't buy. I was in New York City. I wasn't in California. Had that happen? Well, it's uh, pretty clear that there was a reader on that uh, box, on that parking machine box that simply uh, recorded all my information. So some of them are clever. Um, they, they attach to the side of the box, you know, inside that area where the buttons are and everything. It looks just like the inside of the machine, um, but it's a reader. And every time you go in there, you can get scammed. So be very, very careful about scams. Um, anybody can be taken advantage of, so watch out. Now, I know there's a, a lot of emails coming out now saying, uh, your bank, it looks like your bank, it's got your bank logo on it. It says, hey, listen, uh, we're updating your account. Please uh, click here and update your information. Well, banks don't do that. That's a scam. You click on that link uh, and it, it puts a malware on your computer, which can then get uh, get all the information you have on your computer. So that would be PIN codes, P 
passwords to all your accounts, and they can drain you out. So uh, that's, uh, that's something that certainly can happen. So be careful out there, especially uh, at shopping season when we're out here shopping. All right. Another thing I saw in the news that I wanted to talk about um, is, you know, this whole thing of tearing down statues, tearing down statues. Now, I'm going to say that I can understand that some people might be offended by a statue. I, I, I can say that. But I also see statues as historical references to a particular period in time. So the Confederate statues are the one that seems to, to have everybody crazy. You know, Confederate, these are people who wanted to break away. They wanted to keep slavery. They wanted to fight the, the North and they wanted to be their own country with slaves. And, you know, so anything to do with the Confederacy is bad. I see where they think that. Um, I see those Confederate statues as part of the history of America that pointed out we had to do away with slavery. You know, that's what the whole, the, the war, the Civil War, was to do away with slavery and to unite the country, to rebirth the country as a place without slavery, where everyone could be free. And therefore, those statues represent a moment in history. And that's why I don't mind that they're there. I don't mind learning from them. You know, who were these guys? Who was this uh, Jefferson Davis? Well, he was the leader of the Confederacy, and he we should tear him down. Well, who was he, and what did he stand for? And I can learn that, gee, I'm glad we're not like that anymore, but that statue is to that guy, you know, uh, so I see it. So there is a statue in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, it was, I think it was unveiled in 1914, and it's, it's a Confederate memorial statue to the soldiers who were lost uh, in world, in that world, in civil, in the Civil War, uh, in the War of the States, and it's been there since 1914. It's to commemorate those who were Americans, tried to leave, fought the war, and th they eventually came back. And I think that's why there was a statue to commemorate that healing that we're back. We're back as one country, and these, these were people of the South. And the people of the South are allowed to have pride. Not the, it's not the pride in, in slavery. That's not what they're proud of. They're proud of the, of the South. Now, I could see where people can conflate. Well, part of the lifestyle of the South was slavery, and therefore it's all bad. Well, there's also, people can also love their, their land. They can love their, their, their climate. They can love their friends. They can love what it means to be independent people in the South. You know, I kind of get all that, too. I'm not a Southerner. But I get that they, they can have pride in that, and it's not pride in slavery. It's pride in, in being from the South. Don't you have pride from, that you are from where you are from? Right? I'm from Dallas, man. I love Dallas, right? I'm from San Francisco. I'm from Jersey, man. I love Jersey. Get it? People love where they're from, and that's, that's what all that's about. But this whole tearing down of statues, tearing away history, we should learn from that history. And those statues that are put up are there uh, as memories of those things for us to learn from and not tear down. But they, they were going to tear the statue down in Arlington, and a judge, a federal judge, put a block on that for the time being, saying, hey, hang on a minute before we go tearing this down. Let's, let's think about this. Uh, and it's going to be the next battle between uh, 
progressives and traditional Americans? Do we tear these down? No one is saying that the South was great because of slavery. That's not the point. Slavery was an abomination, it was bad, and we did away with it, and that's a good thing. Um, but the statues remind us of that era, of that time, and can teach us, and that's what I think we need to learn. Uh, let's see, Hunter Biden had a little subpoena, right? He had a subpoena. Did you ever get a subpoena? A subpoena says you either bring yourself to court or you bring documents, you bring papers, things like that. Uh, you know, as a law enforcement guy, I, I issued a lot of subpoenas through the court uh, for people to come and testify, for people to come and bring their books or their documents or whatever it is that I needed to see for part of an investigation. You get a subpoena and then people have to respond to it. You know, that's part of our responsibility as a citizen uh, and our court system is to follow the edicts of, of the rule of law. And if you get a subpoena, you're supposed to come. Now, there are times when you can say, I don't want to respond to that subpoena, but our system has that built in as a way to fight it. You try and quash, quash a subpoena and you would make a legal argument to a judge why you should not have to appear or bring your documents. And the judge will look at the case and make a determination and the judge may or may not uphold the subpoena. But if you got to go, you go. So Hunter Biden, uh, who's all caught up at the center of the Joe Biden corruption nonsense that's going on, um, you know, they keep telling there's nothing to it. It's a lie. It's all made up. It's a lie. It's a lie. There's nothing to it. It's Republicans making stuff. So why don't you just go to court and testify? Why don't you just bring all the documents? Bring your banking records. Open them all up. Let us see that there was no money coming and going from 20 shell companies to the president when he was the vice president and between his son and his brother and the grandchildren who got millions of dollars from China and all over the world. You know, of course, you know, everybody, everybody, every five-year-old gets, you know, a $500,000 check from China put in their bank account. It happens, right? Everywhere. It happens to you. Oh, no, it doesn't? Yeah. All right, so if there's nothing there, there's nothing to see, then let's just see, because where there's smoke, there's fire. And there certainly appears to be a preponderance of the evidence, which is the civil, um, the civil side. You know, in the criminal side, it's uh, reasonable, beyond reasonable doubt. But in the civil world, it's preponderance. So when we look and try and decide how far do we go, we, we get a preponderance of evidence that there looks like there was probably something illegal done here. Therefore, we have to investigate. And we investigate by asking people to cooperate. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, will you come in and talk to us? Well, when there's nothing to hide, you come in and talk. You answer the questions. When there are things to hide, you refuse to give up documents. I'm not giving you those documents. I'm not letting you look at that. I'm not coming in to answer your questions. But at the same time, you get on the microphones and you say, there's nothing to it. It's all a lie. But you're not going to go in and get on get under oath and answer questions, right? How come? People are not stupid. Figure this out, ladies and gentlemen. This is, you know, we all know that politicians in general on both sides of the aisle can be corrupt and have been corrupt. Money corrupts equally, no matter who you are. Uh, and this is what we seem to have here. The Biden crime family, uh, as they've been called, uh, have been involved in this corruption for years. This is how, go back to the early episodes, the early podcasts here on Chasing Justice when I talked about this uh, when Joe Biden was running for president. How is it you're, a, you're in public service making from 40000 to maybe 200000 a year over the course of a career? Maybe you made uh, $4 million. How is it you have multiple multi-million dollar homes on the ocean, here, there, and everywhere, apartments? How do you, where does that money come from? Right? If, if the entire totality of what you've made over your 40 years is $3 million, how do you have an $8 million beach house? Multiple 
mansion kind of houses. How do you have that? How do you have the lifestyle that you have? Right? Lots of people make 200000 They don't have multiple beach houses, but the president does. Where'd that money come from? Well, it seems pretty clear where it came from. We're now seeing, uh, we're seeing into it, uh, this whole thing, this whole scandal. So just bring those documents. But Hunter decided that mm, I'm not going to go testify. He wants to testify the way he wants it. I'll, I'll come and do what I want to do. And that's not how the system works. And it, it points out the hypocrisy, not only of our friends on the left, but our president specifically. Because when Donald Trump and the January 6th people were being subpoenaed and called to court and this and that, anybody who didn't respond, he said, they should go to jail. You got a subpoena. You better show up. But when his son refuses to testify uh, for, at a, with a subpoena, uh, he has nothing to say. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to get into that. It's all lies. It's all lies. They're making it up. Well, then go in there. Answer. And for those who don't understand what the difference is between closed door and open, is that when you're in closed door session, the way the, the testimony goes is that the Republicans get one hour to ask all the questions they want, then the Democrats ask for an hour. And it goes back and forth for eight hours. So you get four hours to ask specific, direct, pointed questions for the witness to answer. When they do it in public, each senator or each congressman gets five minutes, and really all it is is grandstanding. They're making speeches. The witness is not really answering questions. They're not really testifying. They're just making uh, talking points, and all the politicians are doing what politicians do making commercials for their next run or trying to, you know, protect this one or protect that instead of getting to the truth. So behind closed doors, we get closer to the truth under oath. And that's why Hunter didn't want to go in there. He didn't want to answer those questions. You know, even though there's nothing to hide, uh, he's hiding, right? When people hide, it's usually for a reason. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about uh, as we end our little get together here today is to uh, think about what's going on in Israel and the Middle East. The Israelis are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for safety and security. And it's unfortunate that any civilians are dying. It is absolutely unfortunate and it's terrible. But all Hamas has to do is surrender, give up their weapons, come out of their tunnels and surrender and stop committing atrocities, stop attacking the Israelis and it would all be over. All right, so we can pray. We can pray that there will be peace in the Holy Land and peace for all of us. All right, so thank you, my friends, uh, for, for having some time with me today. I hope you have a great day. I hope this is a great season for you. We'll be back before you know it. Goodbye now.